Romans chapter 10, verse number 11. If you're there, say amen. Amen. The Bible says, For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring good glad tidings, good things. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, just for the opportunity, Lord, just to come together again tonight. We thank you, Lord, reminding us again, Lord, that the, the, uh, the work of a missionary, God, the, uh, the, what the missionary has to go through, Lord, just to get to the field is hard enough, Lord, but also as they get there, Lord, many roadblocks, many obstacles, God will be in amongst their path, but Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that you'll see us through, Lord, and see them through. Lord, help us as a church not just to give, but Lord, out of our monetary means, but Lord, help us to be faithful in our prayers for our missionaries, Lord, and those that we support and those that we don't, Lord, those that are over there, wherever they may be, doing the will of God. Help us, Lord, to know and to be an encouragement to them, Lord, and I just pray, Lord, tonight, Lord, you just once again work in our hearts, uh, Lord, this thought of, of missions and, and being a missionary and uh, praying for our missionaries. Lord, I pray, Lord, this month be one, Lord, of not just information or not just one of encouragement, God, but one where you work in our hearts, God, and it'll be a, a month, Lord, that will uh, live and remind us for the rest of our life what a privilege it is to be part of the Great Commission. And I ask you, Lord, tonight that you have behind the cross of Calvary, Lord, you use me, uh, Lord, for your glory, if not of myself, Lord, and fill me with your spirit. And I just pray, Lord, tonight that you'd work in each and every heart, Lord, and we leave out of here. Lord, exactly what you prepared for us tonight. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. I want to ask you this evening a, a very simple question. It's one that, uh, that I, uh, in my week and a half missions trip, I don't have the, the complete answer for you, but how does one become a missionary? How does one become a missionary? What does it take? to be a missionary, and typically I'll answer this question, one, well, one must be saved, well, no doubt. In essence, you can't do anything in the Christian life until you're saved by the grace of God. What good would it do to tell others about Jesus and you not know him yourself, right? And so one must be saved, well, then one must be called. I mean, we understand where the Bible talks about how Paul had that call into Macedonia, the Lord told him to go and all that, and, and you ought to know where you're going and who you're going to and why you're going there, no doubt. You must be saved, you must be called. And then you must go to Bible college or training school, right, uh, the, to learn the essential Bible doctrines and practical truths from veteran missionaries. And I can I say, in the day and age we live in, uh, we have, as, as most, some churches have become lazy in this. In essence, it is the job of those uh, in the church, the pastor, the teachers, the, those elders, to take those who are coming up and teach them the biblical truth. You ought not have to go to Bible college to learn what the Bible says. You ought to be able to learn that at your church. You ought to be able to learn that in your Sunday school class, in your children's church class. You ought to learn that at the church and, and just pray that we, we would do that. But one must be called. One must go to Bible college, training school. Now, no doubt I'd encourage those to go and sit with somebody who has been to the field and has gone through some of those hardships, has gone through some of those trials and learn from them and glean from them. Then you have to join a mission board, right? You have to be uh, brought on to a mission board for financial credibility and accountability. No doubt there's nothing wrong when it's in its right place and it's right time. And, but I will say missionary boards haven't always been a thing, right? Men will used to just go where the Lord led them. And I, I understand why they're, they're, they're made. But then you got a deputation. 
you got to travel hundreds of miles and thousands of miles and hundreds of churches. Uh, and they said the average time span uh, for deputation for a missionary is two to three years. Uh, they're on the road going from church to church to church to church, uh, asking for money, asking for prayers to get to the foreign field. And then once you get there, you got to go to language school. Right? you got to learn the language because how are you going to reach them if you can't talk like them, if you can't uh, conversate with them? So you got to learn that. And so I broke it down, and they said that the average, the average time spent from somebody saying, the Lord wants me to be a missionary to actually being on the mission field, actively involved in the ministry is anywhere from 8 to 10 years. And you think about that, that's a long time. And some of you tonight are saying, well, I'm, preacher, to be honest with you, I'm looking at my time, I'm looking at how many days I probably got left. I'll never be a missionary, preacher. I don't have that much time left. I don't have that many years left. But let me ask you tonight, is it just those who go to the foreign field or to be missionaries? Or is every Christian to be a missionary? And you say, well, preacher, I don't know about it. Well, here's the thing. Let me ask you, what is the work of a missionary? And I've got prayer card after prayer card here tonight that, in essence, you'll see three words that are repeated over and over again on prayer cards. And it's this, evangelize, disciple, and plant churches. Evangelize, preach the gospel. Disciple, teach those that are saved. And plant churches, bring those, those people together and plant a church. And so you understand that that's not just the work of a missionary. That ought to be the work of every Christian to evangelize, to preach the gospel, and then those that we lead to the Lord, to disciple, to teach them everything we know. And you may not plant a church, but you ought to be part of one. You ought to be the strength, help them to strengthen a church tonight. And to be honest with you, the work of a Christian sounds a lot like the work of a missionary. And so tonight, I don't think it's just, now, you may not have to go to a foreign field, but I firmly believe tonight that every born-again Christian ought to be a missionary. Ought to be a missionary, or do the work of a missionary tonight to evangelize, disciple, to teach. Well, you say, preacher, how can I be a missionary? How can I be a missionary? Do I need to go right now to Bible college? Do I need to go to language school? Do I got to go into deputation? No, Paul gives us three things tonight that if we put them into action, right, if we don't just know them but we do them, we don't just hear them but we're doers of the word, then you and I can actively be a missionary in our everyday life. Can I say this? Say it this way. Help somebody needs missionaries. Augusta needs missionaries. Evans, Grovetown, Harlem, Waynesboro, the CSRA, all those towns in Carolina that I don't know need missionaries. They need you to be a Christian. I remember going over to Albania. I was in Brother Ben's church, and, and oftentimes we get in our mind that missionaries are over there, you know, getting clean water and doing clinics and, and helping out people with health needs. You know, that, there's nothing wrong with that. But I remember sitting in Brother Ben's church and we were having a Wednesday night prayer service and one of the ladies that was, I can't remember what country she was from, but she was from that country and had moved to Albania to be a missionary and to help and, 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 and all of that, but her brother had just died back where she was from and I remember watching Brother Ben sincerely begin to cry for this lady, begin to mourn with her and, and comfort her and I, I stepped back for a second I said, I understand I'm on a foreign field and I understand we had labeled Brother Ben a missionary but I said, at the heart of the matter, he's a pastor. He's there pastoring those people and helping those people. And that's where the Lord said, he's doing the same thing you do, just doing it halfway around the world. And I think tonight that every Christian ought to be a missionary. Well, preacher, how can I do that? Number one, take the Great Commission personal or make the Great Commission personal. Look at verse number 11 tonight. Paul said, for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now, in its context, uh, where it is in the scriptures, that verse number 11 is referencing verse number 9 and verse number 10. Those that come to the Lord by faith 
uh, seeking and desiring that salvation the Lord has promised, that those who call upon the Lord shall be saved. They will not be ashamed. In essence, God will not turn them away. How many glad tonight when you came to him sincerely, heartbroken, life falling apart, knew that you couldn't do anything to fix it. You begged him for grace and you begged him for mercy and you confessed to him that you were a sinner and he did not turn you away. But rather he saved you by the grace of God. You did not walk away from that experience ashamed. One that was dishonored, one that was turned away. But that truth doesn't stop itself. In essence, if you and I have nothing to be ashamed about when it comes to salvation and being born again by the grace of God, then in essence there is nothing about the Christian life that you and I ought to be ashamed of. There's no part of it that we ought to step back and say, well, I ain't, I, that's not for me. I'm not going to, I, I just don't feel right. About it. I'm not saying that you have to run with every person and, and, and do everything that everybody says, but when it comes to the word of God, that which is clearly defined and told to us and, and outlined us in the word of God, there's nothing to be ashamed about there. We're living in a day and age where the society is telling me and you that believe the Bible, that believe we need to be quiet, sit down, and, and don't say nothing. And I said, and I, I, we ought to stand on the authority of God where God is clear and God is, God is firm and God paints it clear tonight. We ought to stand on that boldly tonight. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Yet oftentimes, we feel a sense of shame when it comes to the gospel. I preach, I would share that with them. But I don't know what they'll think. You know, I don't know what they'll say. I don't know how they'll respond. I don't know how this will change my public perception. What people think of me? Can I say, as I've learned sharing the gospel, knocking on doors, talking to people, hardly anybody responds like you expect them to. Once you think you've got it figured out, everything changes. And I'm that way, I'm that way. I, I, I go into, I've said this before, I go into conversations thinking, All right, if they say this, this is what I'm going to say. Or if they say that, this is what I'm going to say. But so many times people say things that I have not planned for that I don't know what to say. This past Saturday we were in Harlem at the Oliver Hardy Festival and I seen a man come walking across the, uh, from around the building. He had a Nebraska hat on, had a Nebraska shirt on, and I think he even had Nebraska shorts on. I said, that's one of my fellow sufferers. We're in this season together. And so I figured for him to be decked out like that, he had to be from somewhere in Nebraska. And I, I, I said, sir, are you from Nebraska? He said, oh, no, I'm from Canada. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> Out of all the teams that a Canadian could pick to like, you picked Nebraska. And he said, go pig red. I said, it's really hard to say that this year. <laughs> but it's no doubt. And so you think all these conversations go a certain way. But so many times, if we're not careful, we'll let the fear of what somebody might say that they end up not saying keep us from saying what needs to be said. And what we need to learn is to take the, the Great Commission personal. It's not just something Jesus said to the disciples and to those that were walking with him, but it's something he said to me, something he said to you. That is my Great Commission. We've been instructed to preach the word. The reaction of the hearers is between them and God. Right? We can't control how people react. All you and I can do is fulfill the commission that God has given us to preach the gospel. Now, I understand tonight you're saying, well, preach, I'm a woman. God has not called me to preach. God has not called me. Uh, that, that is going against what the Bible teaches. I'm not saying standing behind a pulpit and preaching to a congregation, but in your everyday life, the word preach means to proclaim. It means that, hey, I need some, I've got to tell you something, right? I, I've got to tell you something that's very, very 
important. Verse number 15, what do you, I've got good, glad tidings and good things to tell you. What is that? Jesus died for you. He paid your sin debt. And so we've been instructed to preach the word. The reaction of the hearers is between them and God. We won't be judged on how they reacted, but we will be judged as a Christian on our obedience to fulfill the Great Commission. God, I think God will, when we're standing before him, we're judged at the, the, the uh, Bema seat of Christ, and, uh, and he's asking us those things. And I understand tonight there's, there's a lot that's going to take place there, but I think one of the greatest things we'll realize is missed opportunities of where we could have shared the gospel or where we should have shared the gospel with somebody. And think about it this way, the parable of the seed and the sower. What did the sower do? He sowed seed. Last time I checked, he didn't stop and observe the ground before he threw the seed on it. He just cast seed wherever he was. Yes, some fell on thorny ground, some fell on hard ground, some fell on the rocks, and some fell on good soil. But I don't read anywhere in there where the sower's out there with his shovel checking the soil content and checking the humidity of the soil, making sure it was good soil. No, he just cast the seed. We have to realize that if we're going to do the same thing, yes, some's going to fall on hard ground. Some's going to fall on thorny ground. Some's going to fall on rocky ground. Some's going to fall on good soil. Our job isn't to inspect the soil, but rather it is to sow the seed. But we see right here in verse number 13, there's a wonderful promise. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a great promise tonight. Look at verse number 14. There's a stark reminder. If we want the whosoever to get saved in verse number 13, there's got to be a preacher in verse number 14 and verse number 15. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those or them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And so, yes, I believe in a whosoever will gospel. I'm not a Calvinist, and I believe anybody that, that God is willing to save, anybody that comes to him in faith. I, I firmly believe that tonight, but at the same time, if I believe whosoever will, then I need to be a whosoever will sower. I need to go find and, and sow the gospel to whosoever will and whosoever will listen. So there's a wonderful promise, but verse 14 and 15 is a stark reminder. If we want to see the whosoever get saved, we need to share the gospel with the whosoever, uh, whoever the Lord puts in our life. We have to realize that there's nothing wrong with the Great Commission. We're living in a day and age where they're trying to change the Great Commission. They're trying to make it more modern. They're trying to make it easier. They're trying to make it more user-friendly, seeker-friendly. You know, don't use words like sin and blood and hell because that scares people. That makes them feel uneasy. And I say tonight, the truth's the truth. The truth. I'm not saying you got to go out there and say it ignorantly and arrogantly. But the truth, the truth. The truth is this, those without Christ die and go to hell. The truth is that sin requires a payment. But the truth is also that Jesus died for every person's sin. He rose again the third day. Now he's made that available to anybody who would come to him. And so we understand tonight that there's nothing wrong with the Great Commission. But there's a portion in verse number 15 that I, I've always chuckled at. Right? It's that phrase, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel peace. How beautiful are the feet? Now it's one thing for two ladies to look at each other and say, ma'am, you've got some really nice feet. And it's one thing for a man to look at a lady and say, my, those are very beautiful feet that you have there. But if you're another man and you look at my feet and you say, sir, you've got some beautiful feet. 
I ain't hanging out with you no more. Amen. We are not jibing anymore. And just in case, I don't have beautiful feet. Amen. I'm one of those. I know some guys can wear flip-flops and they can rock it and they can go and all that good stuff. Not me. Amen. I, I, I got to keep these bad boys coming. I've always, in one, you know, why would you say how beautiful the feet of those that preach the gospel? I, I've, I've heard men preach the gospel eloquently. I've heard them preach it loudly. I've heard them preach it boldly. I've heard them pre- preach it biblically. And, I, I've always, and I've never stopped and said, boy, I wonder what their feet look like. They got to have beautiful feet if they're preaching like that. But what you have to understand in that culture, in the biblical times, the feet were often looked at as the most dirty thing, right? The, it's what you, when you walk, they didn't have the nice shoes that we have. They had sandals that the dirt and whatever else we learned about in Sunday school, whatever else was on the, the past that they were on, uh, waste and whatnot, they walked through the, the towns and all of that filth would get on their feet. And you were not to go into somebody's house until your feet were clean. They were clean. But here Paul was saying the gospel is so great that even the parts that none of us would, would really like to look at, he said even that part of it is beautiful. There's no imperfections when it comes to the gospel tonight, when it comes to the great commission. And so I want to ask you tonight, when it comes to the great commission, is it just the great commission or is it your great commission? Is it the greatest thing you've been commissioned to do or is it the greatest thing that you expect everybody else to do? If you and I are going to be missionaries to where we are now, Preacher, it's missions month. We got to talk about everybody else across the, the ocean and, and in the foreign field and in the in the in the tribes of Africa. Preacher, don't, uh, hey, we all ought to be missionaries tonight, and we can be missionaries if we took the Great Commission personally tonight. So take the Great Commission person number two. Prepare through prayer. Prepare through prayer. I was finished getting right down my sermon notes this morning, and uh, or afternoon. I don't know exactly what time it was. Finished writing all this down. And uh, I read through verse 1, and then I looked at the video, and that was the verse that Brother Ross started with. Romans 10, chapter verse number 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That they might be saved. Paul's prayer request is very clear here. He wants Israel to be saved. And how many of us tonight can identify with that? That which God called us out of. It's oftentimes where our, our, our heart is the biggest in, so to speak. We want God not just to save me out of that, but I want God to save my whole family out of that. I want God to save all my friends out of that. Where I used to be and what I used to do, what I held so prominently in my life, we know Paul was a, uh, was a great Jew. He was the, almost the perfect example outside of the Lord Jesus Christ of a Jew, what a Jew ought to be. And yet he's saying, my prayer to God is that Israel would be saved. Those that are just like me, I want the Lord to save them. Y'all know my background. Y'all know I came out of the Catholic Church and I'm thankful for salvation. I'm thankful that God has a way of dealing with religion and breaking it down. But my heart's prayer is that those that I was raised around, those that I was brought up around, that they would see the light. That they would see the truth and that they would know it's not religion but a relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ that saves people. And so we see Paul's prayer request in verse number one. It's clear he wants Israel to be saved. But then look at verse number 12. It expands. Expands in verse number 12 of chapter number 10. It says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich, upon, uh, is rich unto all that call upon him. 
Paul said, yes, I want Israel to be saved, but if I'm going to get completely honest with you, he said, I know that God can save the Greeks too. The Greeks, the educated, the philosophers, men like, I think Socrates was Greek, and Plato and all them. I don't know if they were Greek or not, but they were those, those men of great education. Paul said, it ain't going to help them. They need to get saved by the grace of God. So there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. But then you get down to verse number 13, his prayer request expands. What's verse number 13 say? For whosoever. Paul said, yes, I want the Israel to be saved. I want the Jews to be saved. I want the Greeks to be saved. He said, but to be completely honest with you, I'm praying that everybody would get saved. That whosoever, anybody, would get saved by the grace of God. Notice his prayer didn't necessarily narrow down Paul's heart, but rather it expanded it. It got, God, it got Paul's heart in tune with God. Let me ask you tonight, is there anybody that God is not willing to save tonight? And that ought to be our prayer, Lord. I know that you're a whosoever will God. And Lord, give me that same heart. And oftentimes we look at prayer as a helpline, right? We get in trouble. We have a need. We, we, we have an emergency, Lord. I need help. And I'm glad tonight that when lights fall apart, we do have a helpline. But you know that prayer is more than a helpline. It's a hotline. It's a direct line. Now, those of you who are under the age of 30 have no idea what I'm talking about. Preacher, what is a direct line? What? Phones had lines? <laughs> they used to be tethered to the wall? <laughs> they, used to, they used to not move. <laughs> Amen? You could only go as far as the cord would let you go. And that thing would snap back. And, boy, if you ain't lived, you ain't lived yet until you got spanked with one of them phone cords. Amen? <laughs> thing wrapped around your leg. You'd be done for. Hanging on the ceiling. But prayer is a, is a direct line to God, right? And so if you and I are going to be missionaries and you and I are going to do the work of a Christian to evangelize, to disciple, and to help support or plant churches in that essence tonight, we are not going to do it without prayer. A prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. Well, preacher, what, what kind of prayer should I be praying? If i got a direct line to God, what kind of prayer? Prayers for discernment. Prayers for discernment. Pray for discernment. Yes, some will be reluctant. Some will refuse, and some will receive. And the Bible does give us clear outlines and clear directions on those that reject the gospel and, and continuously reject the gospel, but it also says that some will be reluctant. Some you'll just have to spend a little extra time with, and some you'll have to continue to work. Some will reject, and it may not be you who leads them to the Lord. You might get to plant the seed, but God might use somebody else to water, but God will get the increase. So be, some will reflect, be reluctant, some will refuse, some will receive the word of God. And we need discernment on those uh, that we don't waste, and I don't want to say waste our time, that we give all of our time tonight to one who is consistently rejecting, who, who has no inclination, it's, the time's not right, and we look over the one who's ready to receive. So prayers for discernment. We need to pray for wisdom. We should be knowledgeable and learned, of course. I'd encourage you to learn as much as the Bible as you can tonight. But there is a great danger when we take our learning and lean on that only. We lean only on our understanding, right? We, we've got the verses memorized in case they want to argue. So, well, oh, we're going to shut them down. I, I've been studying it, preacher. I'm fixing to let them have it. And I just say, just, just calm down. <laughs> calm down, amen. I still remember that time we were out there knocking on doors. And that man said, I only believe the words that Jesus said are the, really the words of God. And he was, in essence, trying to argue back and forth about the need for salvation. I said, well, Jesus said you must be born again. I said, you have a great day, sir. 
Left him, left him with the words that Jesus said. And here tonight, we ought to study and know what the Bible says tonight, but it's not so we can lean on our own understanding. We need God's wisdom. The Bible says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. They give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not. It shall be given to him. We need God's wisdom to do the work of Christ. But also pray for boldness. Pray for boldness. Why? The devil will not let a determined Christian go unhindered. He'll do whatever he can to stop you. Do whatever he can. Acts 4, 31 talks about the disciples when they had prayed. The place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. Now, when we hear the word boldness, what do we think about? Somebody who says it what? Loudly. Look at them being bold over there. They are screaming at the top of their lungs. They are bold with the gospel. <laughs> and I said that volume isn't necessarily uh, a, a, a description or a characteristic of boldness tonight but rather those who don't back off of it. Those boldness is that which we speak with confidence, knowing that God's word is true. So we need boldness. Then we need a burden. Look at verse number 14. How shall they call upon him whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him that they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? It became personal, Paul. Paul said, I want Israel to hear I want the Greeks to hear. I want whosoever to hear. And Paul said, how are they going to hear unless somebody sent to tell them? The same is true in our life. For We need to pray God for a burden. Lord, give us a burden for the lost. Lord, give us a burden for the broken. Lord, give us a burden for the hurting. And a lot of times, and I understand that the natural man is at enmity with God. And I know there are some who are stark against the Bible or stark against the Lord who is stark against salvation tonight. But there's a lot of people out there who are, who are in this world and they're living and trying their best. They're broken, they're battered, they're beat up. The world has left them all to themselves and they need to have somebody who will show up who has confidence in the word of God and knows that God can bring hope to their life. We need to pray for a burden. We need to let the word of God do what it does best in our life. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, to the joints of the marrow, the discerning of the thoughts, and the intents of our heart. Our burden ought to line up with the word of God. And here Paul has a burden for those to go share the gospel and for himself to go share the gospel. We ought to have the same gospel. Are we praying for a burden tonight? Here's the thing. When you begin to pray, God, use me. God, open up doors. Make it clear to me. God, give me opportunities to share the gospel. At the same time you're praying for the burden, you need to pray for discernment and wisdom and understanding to realize that when the situation's unfolding, it may not be how you expect it to be. It may not play out the way you expect it to play out. A couple of days ago, as a matter of fact, it was after Brother Don's mama's funeral. We had headed on to the other side of town, uh, Evans, and went to a store to look at clothes for the kids, and we had got back onto Washington Road right there by, is that Easy Go or Club Car right there, and I mean, I, I, I despise that side of town. I, I love Hepzibah. Two cars were in a traffic jam, right? <laughs> Evans, it goes on for days and days out there. But we had pulled onto Washington Road, and I, we were uh, getting ready to get on to Bobby Jones and head back to the south side where I feel at comfort, where I feel at home. And we were on Washington Road getting ready to make that right-hand turn. And I'd pull up the car in front of me and stop. And I watched the car behind us let off the brake and didn't put their foot back on it. And hit the back of our car. And I was just like, great. <laughs> of all things, right now, 
And so I pulled off into the uh, whatever store that was right there. And that lady pulled in behind us. But praise the Lord. Nowadays, you don't know, people just drive off nowadays. And she pulled in behind us. I got out the car and I said, ma'am, you all right? And a young black lady, like young, she's my age. Um, yes, I am young. But <laughs> And you could, she was just shaking, just, you know, she didn't know what she was going to do. She just hit us, knew she was at fault. I got out of the car and looked at it. I didn't see anything wrong. Uh, there's a small little dent right there. And I remember, she, <laughs> I was like, and give me your information. I'll give you my information. If anything comes up, I'll let you know. Miss Becky said, ma'am, you go to church anywhere? She said, no, no, no ma'am, not at the moment. Before you know it, the lady that ran into the back of our car, didn't cause no damage. Everybody was all right. Kids in the car, everybody, everybody's fine. They were like, man, we just got hit. <laughs> and finally, you could say they've been in the car wreck. Uh, I guess car accident wasn't a wreck. But uh, Miss Becky just started talking to the lady. And before you know it, I said, ma'am, do you mind if we pray with you before we leave? I'm pretty sure that lady's probably thought, this is the weirdest <laughs> accident I've ever been in. I drove home and we looked over the car, didn't see nothing wrong with it. I ended up texting the lady back and said, ma'am, I just want to let you know we don't see anything wrong with it, so we're not going to file nothing, anything like that. And uh, her name's Victoria. It's a pray. She's, she promised us that she's going to come to church. So just pray for her. But Miss Becky was able you know, to ask her about her salvation. She said that she knew, she knew the Lord. She knew that she was saved. But she had been praying and knew that she needed to get her kids to church. Um, and she te- here's what she testified. She said, I had a grandma that dragged me to church. Every time the doors were open, grandma had us there. And she said, I might have got out, she said, but it ain't got out of me. She said, I'm still holding on to the, the truth that I heard when grandma took us to church. So pray for her. Pray for her children as well. But how, how, do you, how often do you prepare, prepare, prepare yourself for the day this way? Lord, give me the opportunity. Lord, if it doesn't come in a, a, a certain circumstance that I'm expecting, Lord, make me aware of why you have me there. To be a missionary, you've got to take the Great Commission personal. You've got to prepare through prayer. And notice number three, preach the plan. Preach the plan. Verse number nine, verse number ten, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For the heart man believeth unto righteousness with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I think sometimes, and I can't speak for others, sometimes the biggest struggle in my Christian life is not knowing uh, what I'm supposed to do, but actually doing what I know I'm supposed to do. I know what the, what the Bible says. I know what I'm supposed to do. Sometimes I struggle with actually doing that. And here's the thing. If we know what needs to be done and we don't do it, we really don't have much of a right to complain. Not have much of a right to complain about results. Think about it this way. I know I need to lose weight, but if I'm not doing anything to do that, I really don't have a right to complain. I know I need to read the Bible more, but if I'm not making time for it, then it falls on me. I want to pray more, but if I keep putting it off, then I realize why I'm still getting the same results. I haven't led anybody to the Lord, preacher. Let me ask you, have you shared the gospel with anybody? I'm not saying every time you share the gospel, someone's going to get saved, but if you're going to lead somebody to the Lord, you're going to have to share the gospel with them. So tonight, if we're going to be missionaries, we're going to have to preach the plan. Notice the accolades given in verse number 15, talking about the beautiful feet of those that preach the gospel and bring glad tidings of good things. It wasn't for those who wanted to do that. It was for those that did that, those that preached the gospel and those that 
presented the gospel and brought the glad tidings of good things. The accolades given in verse number 15 weren't given to those who wanted to preach the gospel. It was given to those who did preach the gospel. A presented gospel is the only gospel that can be believed. A presented gospel is the only gospel that can be believed. Pray about it. Seek God's wisdom. But make sure you preach it. Make sure you present it. Make it simple. Make it straight. Easy this way. Everyone's a sinner. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that every person's a sinner, that none are perfect, that none are, are, are that all come short of the glory of God. They realize they're a sinner, and then you realize sin requires a payment, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. It's not just the physical death, that's that second death, that eternal separation from God in a place called hell and eventually a lake of fire. That is what sin earns. That is the payment of sin. That is the wage of sin. But thankfully, God gave us a gift, Romans 6, 23, the end of the verse, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You don't have to pay that debt. It's already been paid for you. Jesus paid it for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl on the cross of Calvary. He's made a gift available to every person. You can be saved, Romans 10, verses 9 through 10, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord, and the Lord Jesus Christ, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. What's that say? Thou shalt be saved. Thou shalt be saved, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Pray about it. Take it personal, but then put it into action, right? Share the gospel. <laughs> Can I say, I don't care how long you do it, you're still going to get nervous. You're still going to want to say everything perfectly, everything right. But can I encourage you just to share the gospel? Share the gospel. Amen. A presented gospel is the only one that can be believed tonight. And here's the thing tonight. We invest in missionaries to go to foreign fields to evangelize, to disciple, and to build churches. Right now our church does $100 a month per missionary that we, we support. And every month they send us a letter back or every quarter so often they send us correspondence back that tells them what, we're, what, what they're doing over there and how they're trying to evangelize, how they are attempting to disciple and how where God has put in their heart to plant churches and to grow churches and to, and to train nationals to take over those churches. The job of mission, in essence, is to work themselves out of a job. But we see it tonight, and we, we read those letters, and we say, man, look what they're doing. And in essence, we see that our investment is going to a good place. It's going to a good cause, so to speak. It is being well invested. Because if we got letters like this, well, we didn't know about Jesus, but we did go out to eat. And... We didn't disciple nobody, but we sang a couple songs at church. We'd say, I don't know about that. We might have did a little supporting someone else that is busy about the work of God and what God has called them to do. So we look at them and we say, we want to make sure we're invested in good missionaries, those that are doing the work of Christ. God has invested a lot in you. If you were to write him a letter, would it be a sincere, would it be a genuine to the point where you would say, God's getting a good return on his investment. I'm doing the work that he has called me to do. I'm not saying you can't have fun. I'm not saying you can't tell jokes. I'm not saying that you can't laugh. I'm not saying that you can't go out to eat together as a family. But what I am saying is we've got a great commission. All of us are called to be missionaries. All of us are called to evangelize, disciple, help plant and strengthen the church. And is God getting a good return his investment on us tonight? Are we doing the work that he's called us to do? Are we being the missionaries that God has called us to be? Take it personal. 
prepare through prayer and then preach the plan. Are you going to preach the gospel to those that need to hear it?